Welcome to Frontline Voices on Disaster Response, sponsored by Verizon Frontline. Now, J.J. Green. How would you characterize how FEMA has responded to state and local partners in the last few years? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I think there's three things that FEMA does, uh, has always done, and in particular has done a lot more of in the last few years. I think the first thing is that we provide funding and technical assistance. Uh, and I'll, I can get into a little bit about technical assistance, what that specifically means. Uh, we provide staff specifically to integrate with our state, local, tribal, and territorial partners across the country. And then we provide direct services to the American American people. So those three things are the things that make FEMA what we are as an agency, and it's, it's how people see our services that we deliver. Different disasters require different approaches. Supercell storms, hurricanes, wildfires, tornadoes. Uh, and of course, the wildfires have been evolving. And of course, the, the supercell storms is a fairly new thing, too. What can you share about how FEMA tackles all of that? Yeah, so, you know, yes, the storms are individually different. Wildfires, uh, certainly a lot more in the past few years and in years past. And so FEMA has had to scale up. But there's fundamentals to how we do our business, right, as an emergency management profession that are universal. The first thing is understanding the threats and hazards that impact the community. That's job one. You can't do anything else until you know what could happen and know when it is happening. The second thing is consistent, regular integration with our partners uh, at the state, local, tribal, and territorial level. So positioning people before events to plan, train, and exercise. So we're aware of what everybody's plan is, what their roles and responsibilities are, uh, what their requirements will be. Uh, You do that through planning, through the training, and then practicing what you planned and trained for in the exercises. And then the third thing, is proactively and aggressively responding to whatever the event is. So anticipating a hazard is coming, whether it's a storm where you have noticed or a wildfire where you can see the conditions are ripe for that type of event, and then working with your partners to stage resources and teams ahead of time so that you can be ready when the need is, you know, when you are called upon. I think those are that forward-leaning and aggressive response power has been really critical to FEMA's success over the past uh, several years. And what kind of guidance do you give your state and local partners um, to help them prepare ahead of time? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I, I think a couple of things that that we you know I try to think about when I when I provide advice and counsel to to our partners, and I think when other people at FEMA do do that is again that understanding the community that you whether you're at the federal level, in the state, or at the local level, that understanding of the community that you're serving, and not just, you know, there's rolling hills, or it has 200,000 people, but really understanding the nuances of each community. And I think this is a, a really good point where we can talk about the role of equity in delivering emergency response services. There have been numerous studies, and I think, you know, you can see it play out in actual events, where many people 
people are disproportionately impacted by disasters. Uh, people on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, people with disabilities, people with limited English proficiency, and people who live in underserved and marginalized communities are examples of folks who are often disproportionately impacted in disasters. And I think it's important at every level of government for people to understand their specific community you know, demographics and then be thinking about how we can support people who will need help the most after an event. I, I see that as the FEMA regional administrator, and I saw that when I worked in local government in New York City in Philadelphia. And so it's something that I think is important for us to be considering now and to be operationalizing in our actions when we respond by prioritizing our support and services to the people who need help most. So that's one piece of advice that we have, I think, always given, but now have a much more focused emphasis on it and making it more operational. So that's, I think, one area. The other thing that I want to talk about is, you know, in a disaster, and I have been, I've been doing this for quite some time, in a disaster, there's three things that you should always be considering. Obviously, the consequences of whatever the disaster is. So whether it's people displaced from a wildfire or homes that are no longer habitable because of a flood or damage from a tornado, there's always consequences that you're going to have to address. But you have to do that in the context of compressing time and closing scenes. So in, you know, in an emergency, time is an extremely valuable resource. You never have enough of it and you never want to be behind. And so all of your action should be focused on compressing time so that you can help people faster and help communities recover more quickly. And then within that, you have the seams between organizations, whether it's between the federal government and the state government, the state government and local governments, the various nonprofit organizations that support disaster survivors and communities. There's all of these seams. And part of creating an integrated emergency management system is knitting those seams closed so that things don't fall through the cracks. So those that's another piece of advice that we often will give um, our partners is to think about how you connect to the other organizations in your response network and how are you ensuring that the seams between your organizations are as tight as possible. Emergency response, as you've alluded to, is not a one-way street. It's it's a two-way street. And so I'm wondering, what do you most need to know from your customers and how can they help you do what you need to do? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I, I think what I'd like to focus on in this question is how the public is an important part of the emergency response system. Because you know, a lot of times we talk about government's role and the role of the private sector and the nonprofit sector, and all of those uh, sectors are really important. But fundamentally, the public is a key component of the of the nation's emergency response network. Right? The public, you know, your neighbors are your first responders. You know, when you have a disaster or an emergency that impacts your house or your community, your neighbors are often the first people who come and help you. They're the people who call 911. And then you can see in countless events, they're the first people, you know, helping folks who are trapped in their home or helping people escape from a flood. So it's important that the public understand their key role in being ready for a disaster. Uh, and there's lots of tools available to do that. People can go to ready.gov. They can also ensure that they have adequate insurance 
insurance to protect themselves from disaster losses. And, you know, there's the flood insurance program. There's also uh, having homeowners insurance and having, you know, the basic preparedness around having supplies, having supplies in case you have to evacuate, having supplies in case you have to shelter in place. And I think it's important for the public to have an understanding of what their community's plans are. And I think it's important that the government engage the public in their planning. Um, It's often, it's important if as an emergency responder or an emergency planner, you know, again, which, uh, you know, I have done in my career plan for emergencies. You can't have a plan that's effective unless the public is aware of what you're asking them to do and that they have bought into that. So I, I often encourage the public to number one, be prepared and also be aware of what the plan is for their community should an emergency happen. Marianne, can you talk about the technology and communications that uh, you rely on in one, preparing for uh, emergencies and disasters and uh, responding? And, you know, even afterwards, follow up, the technology and communications types are important. Yeah, technology is important and and has become more important as we've become a more connected society. So obviously being able to communicate over the phone and by email is critical to how we do our work. A part of our contingency planning, though, is is thinking about if we don't have access to our normal technology services or communication services, how will we still deliver our mission? Uh, That's where I think it's important to place people at the point of need, whether that's in a state emergency operations center or in local emergency operations centers to help bridge that technology gap should we lose technology. I also think the public needs to be thinking about contingency plans for technology because uh, our communication networks are vulnerable in disasters. They rely on, you know, power and connectivity. And if we lose that in an emergency, you have to have a secondary or a backup plan for communications, not not just government, but the private sector and and the public writ large need to have a plan for that. And then, uh, you know, fundamentally, a lot of the work that we do in emergency management, technology is an enabler, but we can still do things without technology. And I I often encourage people to think about, you know, just that basic human interaction. How can you communicate and coordinate without the fancy crisis management software, right? Because we were doing that before there was a piece of crisis management software and we were fairly effective. Uh, So thinking about how we can go back to that should we lose access to our technology. Disasters, you know, they continue to evolve. They continue to change. And there are lots of factors that impact how disasters unfold. And in many cases, some of these natural disasters may be triggered by things that have little to do with nature. So I'm wondering how you study or prepare uh, for these possibilities uh, in the future. Yeah. And I think, you know, you raise an important, I think, an important point in your question, which is that, you know, we can't possibly predict everything that will affect us from an emergency management standpoint. Uh, I think we have good plans and good scenarios, uh, but it's often the thing that you haven't anticipated that you have to respond to. And so we have to think about how our systems can be all hazards. Uh, and I will, I'll will i draw your attention to FEMA's recently released strategic plan. And in that plan, there are three priorities that I think position not just FEMA, but the whole emergency management pr- profession to be thinking about that unknown future. The first priority that we have is instilling equity as a foundation of emergency management. And I talked a little bit about that in our earlier question about understanding the community. I think thinking about the future and thinking about how our population is changing 
happening and the needs of the people who live in our country and in the communities within our country, that equity has to be front of mind, not just now, but well into the future. And the second priority is looking at climate resilience and how can we be better positioned as an agency and as a country to adapt to the changes in the climate. Uh, FEMA has implemented a number of disaster mitigation programs, including our Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities Program, as well as the implementation of our Hazard Mitigation Grant Program in conjunction with the COVID uh, disaster declarations that we have. There is a, a transformative amount of money available for communities now to think about future risk and to adapt to future risk. We've also made uh, significant changes to our flood insurance program through risk rating 2.0 that consider equity and, and think about uh, providing insurance in a more equitable way, the premiums themselves, uh, as well as thinking about future risk. And then the third, the third priority, which I think it specifically gets to your point about readiness, is having a ready FEMA and a ready nation. And, and thinking and readiness has to be a, a cornerstone of how we prepare and then ultimately how we execute our response, our response operations. And then think about recovery and mitigation. Readiness should be a thread that we're pulling through that whole, uh, all the domains of emergency management, preparedness, uh, response, recovery, and mitigation. All of those have readiness aspects to it. And even in a response operation, there are things that you can be doing to be ready for the next event, which may be happening or may happen simultaneous, right? Being able to respond to multiple storms, being able to respond to hurricanes and wildfires at the same time. Uh, communities can have both happen at the same time. FEMA has certainly responded to uh, multiple events over the course of a summer or the course of a year. And even with the COVID pandemic, we have had to also respond to pretty unprecedented natural hazards. Marianne Tierney, FEMA Region 3 Administrator, thank you for your time. Great, thank you. Thank you for listening to Frontline Voices on Disaster Response, sponsored by Verizon Frontline on WTOP.